0: I'm not sure whether to care if any of us really enjoy all this, but it's church. It's, it's, it's what we're called to do. If we get ourselves to the place where pattern and form is our primary concern, then the function and the power of the kingdom isn't going to be part of our program. And we've got to have the power of the kingdom if anything good's going to happen. So, I pray that we're always led by the Holy Spirit. If we're led by the Holy Spirit, then we know we're okay. And if it doesn't work out exactly how we always thought it was going to work out to have a nice, clean 15 minutes of that and a half an hour of that, then so be it, okay? Wow, man, I'm just whooped. Um, (laughs) So weird to go from where we just were to where I'm about to take you. We had a word from the Lord. I believe it with all my heart. Um, I believe it because it was confirmed I, I stood up here. Will you put my little slide, the the passion thing up on the screen here for me? That little that little handwriting part is just a snapshot of the 3x5 card. I, I carry a 3x5 card in my pocket so that I don't miss any anointed announcements and I don't forget who I'm to pray for. And I was right here as worship was ending. I, I knew that it was winding down and I was asking the Lord, which I don't typically ever do, is there something else that you want me to pray for? And this word, passion, popped into my head. And it popped into my head in the context that you see. You probably can't see it, but on the top kind of describes what passion is, and on the bottom describes the kind of passion the Lord was speaking to me about, to know Jesus, to serve Jesus, to be like Jesus, passion for righteousness, for souls, for kingdom power, you know, those kinds of things. And it was so powerful, the way that it struck me, that I wrote it across the bottom of my, or across the side of my my card, with three big exclamation marks. I stuck it back in my pocket, I made the turn to come around, and as I was going by, a lady who doesn't go to our church, her husband is our regular drummer, but she goes to the Freedom Center, happened to be here that day, and I thought, I'm going to have Lisa just pray for me. I said, I told her, lay hand on and pray for me, because I, I need God's anointing if anything I do is going to be effective, and she starts to pray in the spirit and all of a sudden she's just like, oh man, wow, oh, holy smokes, passion. I'm like, what? And she said, the Lord is screaming in my ear. And she said, passion, 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 passion. And I said, oh my gosh, look it. And I showed her the card 30 seconds before that I'd written the word passion on there. So God gave us the word because he wants us to be conscious of some issue of passion that We need to be aware of. That's what I'm going to talk to you about today is passion. Um, God can move us to a place a lot of different ways. There's two ways that he's kind of stirred me towards seeing. One of them is going to be the gist of the message. The second one, I'm going to show you a video. I was going to just let it transition right out of the worship into the video, but I'm not sure that it would have worked. I want you to watch this video in the... Context of passion, and if you were here, I don't know how many weeks ago it's been now. When Finley Molina came up and talked about he almost died, right? He's a paramedic. He knows what the alarms mean when he's in the ambulance, and he was he was pretty sure that he was about to die. And God used that compelling event to change his perspective, and he grew in passion for the Lord like that. That's kind of when I tripped over this video. It made me think of Finley. So think of it in that context, this guy singing about, I think he had a compelling event, and listen to some of the words he says. It's a secular thing, but he uses a lot of really cool things. He talks about forgiveness. He talks about the Bible. He talks about being the person, the friend, the husband that he was supposed to be. Okay? Go ahead and play the video. You'll need to bring the lights down. It's fairly dark.
1: Live life
0: Oh man. If it's your first time here, forgive me or forgive God for messing me up like this. I honestly don't know if this is because He's just convicted me for me or me for us. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for the presence of your spirit, for the breaking of chains and yokes. Lord, I thank you that you help us to know that there's a narrow path, that you want us to be on the narrow path and not the wide path that leads to destruction. I pray that every heart, Lord, you've just opened mine, Lord, I, I just... I want to repent for a lack of passion, Lord. I want to confess a lack of passion, Lord. I don't care if my passion is greater than somebody else's passion. My passion needs to meet your standard, not better than somebody else's. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me to grow in my passion for you, Lord, that I would be found unstained by this world, Lord, that I have no taste in my mouth for self or for world. I pray, Lord, if this conviction is for all of us, I pray it for each and every one of us here in this room, that we would come to know you, as Lord and as Savior. I pray that we would walk with you passionately, Lord. I pray that you'll help us. I know that you'll help us. That's a dumb prayer. Forgive me. You don't need to be prayed that, Lord. I pray that anything that hinder us, Lord, whether it's our flesh or the enemy, Lord, I pray that it be just cast down. Every heart prepared to know what you're saying today, Lord. These lips, Lord, I offer them just to you. These thoughts, I offer them up to you. This heart, I offer it up to you that that what you have to say would be what I would say. I pray in Jesus' mighty, awesome, wonderful name. Thank you, Amen. Oh my gosh! Alrighty then, we don't have a whole bunch of time. I'm not going to not read any of the scripture that the Lord has given me, um, but I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will do the 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 word of the wor- the work of the words that I would have put around them in your heart. I want you to know that I don't believe that this is a word of rebuke. Remember we talked about exhortation, edification, encouragement, that, that God understands. The gist of the message is that, that we have a passion issue, that we, were, we have signed up to a covenant, to a contractual relationship agreement with Jesus, if you're born again, that there's expectations we have of him, In this agreement, there's expectations that he has of us in an area, I think, as a church, individually, collectively as a church, we've fallen short in the area of passion. I'm going to show you what God expects from us as his people. I'm going to show you next that it's not a surprise to him that he uses his word to encourage us to that place and he tells us stories so that we can be aware. But then I'm going to caution you that the encouragement and the story isn't to take his grace and misplace it. His grace is not there for us to compromise. His grace is there because he knows that we might. Okay? And then I'm going to share with you um, some scriptures that the last one is so beautiful that just paints the whole big picture. Okay, So you have a sense that you can plug this whole thing into now, because I'm going to go fairly quickly. Is that all right? Okay, I told you the story. You have a sense for what passion is, fervor, enthusiasm, zeal, fire, fanaticism, obsession, fixation, compulsion. When we speak of passion, when God gives us the word passion, that's what he's talking about. It's passion for him and the things of him, for his will and the way he wants life to be. I want to talk about how do you measure passion, In this context, because I want you to think about the things that the Lord is saying in the context of how do you measure? It's like, you know, you tell us all this stuff, but how do I know if I'm okay or not? I think the way that you measure your passion for Jesus is you look at your priorities in your life. And if you have priorities that look like my favorite TV show instead of a prayer for a sick brother, um, something that would be unholy in your life because you're just choosing it over holiness in Jesus, then as you examine your priorities, you're going to find out where you stand with regard to passion because you're going to point yourself in the direction of your passions. That's the part I forgot to tell you. I'm going to show you how to gain passion for Jesus. Okay, But the the measuring stick, I think, is if you look at what you prioritize in your life, you'll see where Jesus fits in your passion priorities. Okay. We talked about a covenant relationship. When you got born again, see, people think that if you're a good guy, you go to heaven. That's not true. You don't go to heaven because you're better than somebody else. You don't go to heaven because you're good. Nobody is good enough to go to heaven. We're learning that, right? If you're reading Romans, you know that there's no work of yourself that you can do that makes you good enough, earned the points that you need to be able to spend eternity with God in heaven. The way you spend eternity with God in heaven is that you answer the covenant call that he's given us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is that you would confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. That means he gets to have your life, not you anymore, and that you believe in your heart that you actually did need a Savior, that he is that Savior, that he paid for every sin you've ever committed or might commit, and that he truly was risen from dead by the power of God okay? That's the covenant that you signed up for, if you signed up for it. Our expectation for his half of the covenant is the presence of his spirit inside us that allows us to repent from our sinful lives unto holiness and the promise of eternity with him in heaven as we stay in Jesus Christ. His expectation from us Right, Because a covenant is a contract between two or more people. Both people, both parties of a covenant have something that they have to offer to the covenant. For us, what God expects is the faith, the surrender. And interestingly enough, it looks like his expectation in the new covenant isn't much different than it was in the old covenant. If you understand Jesus as Lord, if you understand faith, I look back and I see in Deuteronomy chapter 10... These words, it says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. I don't see much difference in the new covenant expectation and the old covenant expectation. The difference between the two covenants is a covenant of law, which leads to death, and grace, which leads to life. It's the grace that allows you to fail in the new covenant if your heart belongs to Jesus, versus no ability to deal with your sin actions outside of perfect obedience in the old covenant. If we're honest with ourselves, we really only are passionate in one of two places. For Jesus, if you're a believer or for ourselves. Any other passion that we would have that's outside of Jesus is selfish. I have a passion for who knows what. Is it, is it contrary to holiness? Is it contrary to what the scripture teaches us we should be passionate about? Then the root of that thing is self. The Bible speaks to selfishness. It calls selfish ambition, or selfishly ambitious, in a number of different places, and it never is a good thing. Selfish ambition is likened with things like demonic. It's the opposite of the person that seeks, through good works and righteousness, glory and eternity. Selfish ambition. I'll read you some scriptures. James three fourteen through 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant. And so lie against the truth. The wisdom, this wisdom, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Selfish ambition, not good. Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation. What does God expect from us? What is the, the gospel's expectation of us, right? If we can only really be passionate about two things, about ourselves or about Jesus, what does the gospel say about our heaven's expectation of our passion? In Matthew ten thirty-seven, Jesus says, Jesus speaking here, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, parallel passages of this, Jesus speaks of if you don't hate your mother and father, hate your children, you're not worthy of him. That hate isn't that you should hate your parents. It isn't that you should hate your children. They should be the people that you cherish the very most in your life. But your affection and your love and your passion for your children and your parents needs to pale in comparison so much that it looks like hate as relates to your love for Jesus. It's not wishy-washy. John chapter 12 and verse 25. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. That's you. That's your flesh. If you choose to love your life, your flesh, I want to do this, but the Bible says that I shouldn't do that, then you will keep your life, but you lose the opportunity for eternal life with God. It's just how it is. It's the way the covenant is written. You cannot keep this life and have eternal life with Jesus. It's one or the other. Does it mean that you can't ever fail? I mean, you've heard this a thousand times. Some of you haven't because you, you maybe never been here before. It does mean that you can fail. But you can't fail with a heart that mocks God. If you fail because you think God's grace is good enough to let you do whatever you want and not obey Jesus as Lord, then you're probably not going to go to heaven because your, your heart is not turned towards him. But if your heart is turned towards him and you stumble and you, and, you, and you don't choose the holiness and you choose the worldly, there is grace for that because God measures your heart, but he will not be mocked. James four, 4 You adulteresses, <laughs> adulteresses is, is too many s's for my feeble tongue you adulteresses do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward god therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of god see these are the expectations in the covenant that if you're born again that you signed up for and then the last one 2 Corinthians 5, 14, and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this. Ooh, I think this is one you should really listen to. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, right? Jesus, the one, died for all. Therefore all have died. Will you be resurrected with Jesus or not? And he, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So Paul is teaching the church at Corinth that Jesus died for your behalf. You died too. That's what baptism represents, your death and then your resurrection in faith as Jesus was resurrected from death to life. That you would no longer live to yourself, no selfish ambition, but that you would live to him who died for you. Okay, but we're sheep, right? Little sheep wandering around. We wander away. Our passion for Jesus wanes. Our taste for the world increases. That's why it's so important that we have fellowship with one another so we can help each other. If we're wandering away, somebody's going to see it. You won't just wander away and never come back. You won't get off the narrow and onto the wide because someone will know. We're sheep. God knew it. He expected it. In his word, he exhorts us and he warns us. So, this is the part where you can feel a little bit better. I mean, that last part was pretty strong stuff. Paul uh, exhorts in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, he says, Test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless, indeed, you fail the test. So he's teaching us. He's like, okay, as you're walking this, this path, you're walking with the Lord, you need to constantly be examining yourself. Have I wandered into the world? Because see, what happens is, if you've been with the Lord long enough to really have a relationship with Him, you can hear the voice of His Spirit. But you'll rationalize. And sometimes we take and we confuse what's good, what seems good, with what's God. And if this line is the center of the narrow path, and I just get off by a fraction of a fraction, it doesn't feel like I'm off. It doesn't feel like I'm off. It doesn't feel like I'm off, except by the time... I've walked a while, because the angle never changed, i got no idea where the path is. It's gone. If I never examine myself, as I'm walking on this path, I don't know that I've moved this much, and then this much, and then this much, to the point where now I'm so far away from the path, I'm so disconnected from the Holy Spirit, that I have no sense for whether I'm good, bad, or otherwise, with, re- with relation to... My walk with the Lord. Examine yourself. It's an exhortation. That's what this message is. It's an exhortation. Be careful. Watch out that your passion for Jesus doesn't wane because your passion for other things will grow. And if it's not Jesus itself, and if it's self, you saw what selfish ambition is about in the Bible. Not good stuff. Okay. The warning. You want to hear these scriptures in the context of examining yourself now, okay? This is the parable of the sower and the soils. The sower is God. The seed that he sows, right, he plants the seed, is the word of God. And the soil is the soil of your heart. You are represented, I am represented by the soil in these parables, okay? All right. Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. This is Jesus speaking. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 30, 60, and 100-fold. So he's using these metaphors of planting seeds and crops, and where does the seed land, and what happens to the different seed if it lands on the hard part, or if it lands into the the thorns, or if it lands on really good, nicely tilled, ready for the seed soil. And, And then he comes later, when he's alone with his disciples, and he says, I'm going to explain to you what this means. So in verses 14 through 20, Jesus is explaining what this means. The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. So that's a person he's describing. The next one he describes is in a similar way. These are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word immediately receive it with joy, And they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. See, the Bible teaches that we are going to be afflicted, and we are going to be persecuted. And it says over and over and over to persevere. To persevere, to hold on. Well, see, the person that he's describing here, their soil wasn't right. It wasn't ready. Or they allowed it not to be right. And when the test came... They didn't have the grip that they needed to stay in Christ. The next one is the one that I think in our culture is the biggest problem. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. See, that's us in this world. That's i got to have a better car, but there's a starving kid in Africa. i got to have a new house. Why? Because then people will look at me and they'll exalt me because my house is better than their house. I need fancy clothes to go to school. Why? Because some advertiser on television told me my identity needs to look like the clothes that some model wears in the thing and in the magazine, and, and, and if I'm not aligned with what the world tells me I'm supposed to be, then I'm a failure, so i got to have all these things the deceitfulness of riches, the cares and the worries of the world. What's somebody going to think about me? It doesn't matter because eternally their judgment counts for zero. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Constantly examine the soil of your heart to make sure that when it receives the seed that's God's word, that it nurtures and it cares for that seed so that what happens, it grows and becomes fruitful, that our lives would bear fruit for God's kingdom. I, the caution in the exhortation is to fail the test. Remember, unless you find, examine yourself, unless you find that you fail the test, the, the caution in the parable is to make us aware Again, that we are not deceived by the riches of the world, the cares and the anxieties of the world that draw us away from what God taught us. Remember the Deuteronomy scripture, how it ended? For your good. If we walk in God's ways and we obey his precepts, the ultimate result is for our good. Okay, so how does it happen? I think that in the context of your relationship with God that passion is a function of knowing and relationship. If you have little relationship, you have little knowing, and you won't have big passion, right? If somebody said that such and such fruit tastes really good, but I've never tasted it, I might be curious, I might be interested, but I'm not going to be passionate for it, because I have never tasted it, right? When, (laughs) I was fairly passionate for Teresa the first time I saw her, Maybe, maybe that was a beer goggles I was looking through, but As I know Teresa more, my passion increases for her more and more and more. As God becomes known to you, your passion will increase. God makes a way for us to know him in relationship, but we have to take that next step. He makes the way, we take the next step. If we move one step, I believe he moves a hundred steps, but the first step will always be ours, okay? Okay? So if you're concerned, if, if, the, if the message of the parables and the examination of your priorities has caused you to a place that you think that your passion is less than, if you want to keep your life, you have to lose it. If you don't hate your mom and dad, your children, in comparison to your love and your passion for Jesus, if you've gotten to that place, here's some scripture that will tell you how to find that relationship so that you will grow in passion. Because there is no fruit that tastes better than Jesus. Hebrews 11, 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. The reward of seeking him is that you find him. If you find him, you see that glory that Margie talked about when she was singing the song up here today, that increases your passion, which causes you to seek him harder. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven through 13, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Passionate search. And this last one, five verses out of Revelation, when, when Jesus called up the Apostle John to heaven. Spiritually, he had a vision. He gave him seven letters to write to these, the angels that represented these different churches of that time. To the church of Laodicea, he writes these words. Hear these words to that church in the context of your relationship and passion with Jesus. Jesus says to the church, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves. And that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I say, I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Those five verses take us through, maybe it's six verses, take us through this whole message. He says, your passion has waned. You're not hot, you're not cold. You're lukewarm. I hate lukewarm. I spit it out of my mouth. He says, you think that you are rich, but you're not, because your riches that you perceive are in the things of the world. See, when your passion is for the things of the world and you gain them, you perceive that as richness. But what he says is, you're, you're wretched and you're naked. You don't have anything. He says, I stand at your door and knock. I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. But you've got to open the door. If you'll take the initiative to open the door and invite me in, I will come in and I will dine with you. It's the whole thing. I, I wish I would have looked this verse up. I thought of it earlier this morning. It may be to this church. It might be to one of the other ones. I don't remember. But he starts with, you have lost your first love. It could have been a perfect start. Right in here, you've lost your first love. You've become passionate for something other than me. And it leads you to this place of nakedness and wretchedness. Even though you think you're wealthy and you're really well off, you're not because your passion is misplaced. God spoke the word of passion to us because we needed to hear it. He spoke it here in this church for us because we have an issue of passion. He didn't speak it. This is my perception as a word of rebuke. You be passionate about me or I'll just clobber you. There is no passion in that. That's fear. There's an appropriate, reverent fear for God, but that's not this. It's a word of exhortation and encouragement to draw us back to a place where we truly can be clothed in white, that we can buy from him eye salve so that we can see and gold that's been refined by fire. He spoke the word because he wanted us to hear it. Passion for God is expressed in our desire to know him. In our zeal to walk with him. and our hunger to display his character. We find the level of our passion for Jesus. When we examine ourselves through the lens of our priorities. So, I am done. Let's pray. And then maybe we could just take a minute of prayer. We're running kind of late. I'm sorry. Not that sorry, but I'm a little sorry. Just about that much. I promise next week we'll be maybe not late. Let's pray. I don't know, did that movie or that video stir anybody? It just messes me up when I see a guy. I don't know his, I don't know him. His name is um, Tim McGraw. I think he's a Christian. When he talks about being the friend that he would want to have that scripture treat others the way you want them to treat you when he talks about forgiveness that hadn't been given that should have been given that's that's so gospel when he talks about reading he said if i had it to do all over again what would i do i'd look at the good book for some direction and then i'd do it again so maybe we'll just watch that. If you've got to go, you're released. You have a wonderful, blessed week. If you want to stay and just reflect a minute as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, then I would ask you to ask Him to show you if you have an issue of passion in your heart. Okay? All right. God bless you all.